Thanks for listening to the 242 Young Adults Podcast with Pastor Justin Corkum. Our prayer is that this message will be an encouragement to your life in Christ. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm honestly, guys, this has been something that um, I feel God's kind of laid on my heart, and this is months ago, um, if not almost a year ago, when we first started um, 242 and, and got things off the ground. Um, and it, 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 it was taking a back seat, um, and really, I, I, I couldn't push it off uh, any longer. And, and I, I want to talk. Uh, we're going to be going through a series, and um, it's entitled Forgotten God. And it's kind of playing, I don't know how many have heard of the book from Francis Chan um, entitled Forgotten God. Okay, so we're not, we're not going through the book, but the series has kind of been inspired um, by the book and, and, and really addressing the forgotten God in the Trinity. You know, we, we as a church, we as a body of Christ, we, we hear so much about uh, Jesus, we hear so much about God the Father, uh, but, but as, as a body of, of Christ, uh, how often the Holy Spirit is, is forgotten. And, and I don't think there's, there would be anybody in this room that would deny the Holy Spirit's existence uh, we, we would never say that the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. He's not, he's not active and among uh, the, the body of Christ, the believers today. But I think if we were to take a look and really ask ourselves, I mean, confidently, could we say that this past week we know that the Holy Spirit used us in a certain area? And, and I think that as a church, we could even go back and say, and I'm not talking about just us here, but I'm saying in the church in general that there are so many believers that could look back even on their past month and say, I can't remember a time when the Holy Spirit used me in a powerful way, whether it be through me laying my hands on someone and seeing them healed, whether it be me speaking a prophetic word uh, to someone or, or getting a word from the Lord about someone that I, I used to encourage, whether it be uh, working in the miraculous or operating with the sermon or, or being used in the spiritual gift uh, of giving. And going back and saying, okay, even in the past year, can I, can I recall a point in time when the Holy Spirit came upon me and actively used me to be a witness? And what's sad is that we could probably say primarily the, the American church can, can look at it and say, I don't really know. I, I can't really recall a time. And I, and I pray that that's not any of us in this room tonight, but I think that it's a very easy problem that we've fallen into. And so my question that I want to pose, and just as we get into the series, why aren't we seeing him in our lives? Why aren't we seeing the Holy Spirit manifest himself in our lives? And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the, the tradition and religion of the church. I believe that the church is not 100% responsible because obviously, you know, you are your own individual. We are our own person and we have the ability to, to seek God. And, and, you know, my dad always told me, you have as much of God as you want. And so obviously I'm not just dumping on the church as a whole, but I, I, but I feel the church has gotten away from the Holy Spirit because 
of just a couple things. And the one, one part of it, why aren't we seeing the Holy Spirit, is that the church has become a, a, a consumer mentality. Francis Chan writes in his book, perhaps the entertainment model of our services have changed us from self-sacrificing servants to self-focused consumers. How many have seen it? I mean, how many have, have been there where you walk into church on a Sunday morning and you say, I wonder, I wonder what God has for me today. I wonder what God's gonna speak to me today. I, I, I'm gonna go to church so I can get fed. And this mentality of, of consumerism where it kind of sneaks in and it's something where we just, we go to church to get instead of, of being the church to give. And, and that mentality shift, I think, has played in a lot with, with seeing the Holy Spirit manifest in our lives. I think another thing that we can look at is that we become a church of complacency, that perhaps we're just comfortable with the routine of church, that we can't see our devastating need for the Holy Spirit. When I, when I think about it this way, you know, and again, going back to, to Francis uh, Chan's book, he, he talks about an island. If, if you were, were secluded on an island and all you had was a Bible in your hands, and, and you every single day you poured yourself into that, the, the Word of God, you consumed it, and all you did was you, you poured yourself out day after day, consuming the Word of God, and then one day you were rescued from that island and you came to an evangelical church. Would the Holy Spirit that you see in the Bible reflect the Holy Spirit that we see in the church day? Because when you read the Bible, you see the miraculous. You see a movement of people that were changing the world. You see thousands being saved daily. People being added to the church daily. And you ask yourself the question, are we seeing that in the church today? Are we seeing that even in our own lives that, that God is using us in, in such a powerful way that he would manifest his Holy Spirit in us and that we would be empowered for souls to be saved. Numbers were being added to the church daily. And I think another thing that we can take a look at is that we've become a church of conversation. There's an excerpt that I'd like to read from the book. It says that some people talk a lot about God, even boast of the Spirit, but their lives do not bear his fruit. Others speak of the Holy Spirit in theoretical or scholarly terms, yet do not experience him at work. Still others ignore him for all practical purposes, and as you might expect, rarely experience relationship or intimacy with the Spirit. And then there is that rare person who doesn't talk frequently about the Spirit, yet whose life is powerful is a powerful display rather of his presence and activity and that's where for me for 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 you guys that's where I want us to be is that we wouldn't just talk about the Holy Spirit we wouldn't just study about the Holy Spirit but that we would know the Holy Spirit that we would not just be you know I, when I think about my relationship with my wife it's not just something I, I don't just talk about my wife I, I don't just you know study you know why she does what she does but I know her and as I get to know her more there is no no need, and, and here's the deal. You look at talking about, you look at, at even, even understanding and, and, and getting your head around. As you get to know someone, 
ultimately because of that love, you begin to talk about them. When you get to know someone, you don't need to study everything that's done because you know the reason why it's being done. And we've, we've, started, we've started backwards in our pursuit of the Holy Spirit where we're pursuing, well, if I get to know about the Holy Spirit, if I study about the Holy Spirit, if I look at, at, at trying to understand why He does what He does, then, then I'll be able to know Him instead of really pursuing the Holy Spirit. We pursue the facts. We per- pursue the knowledge. And if that knowledge doesn't result in love, then that knowledge is for nothing. So as we begin this series, my heart is that it becomes our prayer to come to a, a decision right now that we want more of the Holy Spirit. In our, rephrase, that we need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That our relationship with God Almighty is impossible without pursuing the Holy Spirit each and every day. So tonight, our, our focus is on why. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? And Jesus, while he was with his disciples, slowly began sharing about their need uh, for the Holy Spirit in their lives. It happened uh, as the crucifixion, as his crucifixion was, was coming and then even took place after uh, his resurrection where he shared the disciples' need for the Holy Spirit in their lives. And I want to take a look at that progression tonight. And as we do, again, recognizing and just prayerfully, God, help me understand my need for the Holy Spirit. Help me understand my need. for the, As a believer in Christ, we need to begin to understand what we truly have been called to, what we've truly been promised in the Word of God. The promise of the Holy Spirit was given even before Jesus' ministry. Uh, John the Baptist spoke of the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit uh, and not just water. And if we look at John, uh, Luke rather 3.16, it says, John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus later confirms this very statement. Talking with his disciples in Luke 24, 49, he says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. It's my amen corner. So what I want to do real quickly is just to take a look at the Greek word, for baptize. And when you look at the Greek word for baptize, it's pronounced baptizo. It means to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge uh, of vessels being sunk, rather, to, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, uh, to bathe, to overwhelm. And so some of those words don't necessarily apply to the context of scripture so the ones that we're going to look at here are to dip repeatedly to immerse to submerge and it says a vessel sunk so think about a ship that's completely sunk at the bottom of the sea 
all right? So that idea of submerged, to be completely overwhelmed. And that's the picture that we're seeing when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's a... uh, uh, a blip from F.F. Uh, F. Bruce's uh, The Acts of the Apostles, uh, his Greek text commentary, and I want to read this because it really paints a good picture here. Uh, Baptizo, uh, this should not be confused with bapto. The clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and uh, physician Nicander, who lived about 200 B.C. Now check this out. It's a recipe for making pickles. It's a recipe for making pickles, all right? And it's helpful because it uses both those words, bapto and baptizo. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, a vegetable should be first dipped, bapto, into boiling water and then baptized in a vinegar solution. So you see a dipping and a submerging. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution, but the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable, in this case a cucumber, produces a permanent change. Think about that. Baptizing that cucumber produces a permanent change. And so what do we take from this? We need to be pickles. I'm serious. We need to be pickles. We need to be sitting and saturating and marinating in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit submerges us. We're so immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit that we are overwhelmed. It's it's like we're a, a ship at the bottom of the sea surrounded by water. There's nothing you could do in your life to get the Holy Spirit away from you. That's how immersed you are in his presence. We need to be pickles for the Holy Spirit. Hashtag pickles, hashtag Holy Spirit. But in all seriousness, this is what God has promised us. He's promised us a Holy Spirit. And and not just a Holy Spirit, and and I want to get to this in a moment, so I'll hold off. But not just the Holy Spirit, uh, the fruits of the Spirit that we experience at salvation. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to look at at, uh, the fact that the Old Testament covers the Spirit of God coming upon people. And actually, you see that phrase quite a bit in the Old Testament there, where there's instances where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon someone. The Spirit of the Lord, how many have read that in the Old Testament before? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Samson in Judges 13 and 14 and 15, throughout the account of Samson's life, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he totally like ripped a a lion's jaw off. A spirit of the Lord came upon him and he attacked an enemy of a thousand and and he slayed them with a donkey's jawbone. Like, let me tell you, when the spirit of the Lord comes upon you, there's powerful things that can be, impossible things that can be done. Othniel was a judge and and, in Judges 3.10, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Gideon, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he blew the trumpet to battle. Let me tell you what, the Spirit of the Lord will give you courage to do things that you never thought that you would do. With an army of 300 going against an army where they would say they outnumbered the sands of the shore. This was millions of people that they were going up against. 
And he blew the trumpet for battle. When you have the Spirit of God upon you, the impossible, things you never could imagine that you would do, you would do because of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit moving through you. Saul, David, Elijah, all these men in Scripture where the account of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon them, and I want to just take a look at that word, come upon, and it's the, uh, the Hebrew word lavash, not the, uh, the bread. Lavash, it means to dress, to wear, to clothe, to put on clothing, to be clothed. Now think about lavash, right? You put, the, you put all of the food inside and you wrap the lavash around your food and usually you, you, you eat it, right? It's like a wrap. It makes sense. It re- and I, that wasn't even prepared. Like, Julia just gave that to me right now. Is that not how you do it? Okay, all right, all right. I just want to make sure I'm on point here. So this word means to dress, to clothe, to wear, and, and really it paints a picture of being covered. But here's what I want to emphasize here. These people experienced the Holy Spirit temporarily. There, there was a moment where the Holy Spirit came upon them and, and they were equipped to do the impossible, right? And think about just even clothes in general, right? There's something that you put on and they cover you, but eventually they're exchanged. You, you take them off and you put on another pair of clothes. At this, in the same sense, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for certain tasks and they would rise to the occasion and they would see great and mighty things done. So what I want to look at is now John is speaking about the Holy Spirit baptizing with fire. Fire in Scripture is symbolic of the manifestation of God. Of God showing himself to man. Moses and the burning bush. It was a manifestation of God's presence to Moses. Moses at Mount Sinai. Paul describes Christ's second coming as him coming in blazing fire. It paints the picture of God's manifestation. Him showing us his, his being in some way. And John says that this fire is going to be from the Holy Spirit. And in essence, he's describing the immersed manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What does that mean? The immersed manifestation. This is not just a moment where the Holy Spirit comes upon you to to empower you to do a certain task, but this is an immersing experience of the Holy Spirit that you now have the opportunity to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be resonating in the pickle juice of the Holy Spirit, that that you are going to be completely surrounded with the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not a a dipping process anymore. This is now available to the believer. And I mentioned this earlier. There's a difference between baptism and and the receiving of the Holy Spirit uh, at salvation. And what I'd like to do uh, very quickly is just read John 20. 20 to 23, it says, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
And when he said this, and this is what I want to focus on, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Um, and if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Let me read a, a, just a quick portion um, about that passage. It says the Greek word uh, here used to employ, uh, nowhere, it's nowhere else found in the New Testament, but is the very word that's used by the, Septuag the Septuagint. Now, let me just real quick, that's just simply um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament because the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. Uh, so the Septuagint is the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, and so that was the very word used in Genesis uh, 2, 7, where the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There, man's original creation was completed by the, this act of God, who then can fail to see that here in John 20, on the day of the Savior's resurrection, the new creation had begun, begun by the head of the new creation, the last Adam, acting as a quickening spirit. So at this moment, the moment that Christ defeated sin by resurrecting, he then comes to his disciples and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And this word breathes reflects the very moment when Adam was created and God breathed life into him. How many know that when that happened, we had new life and it was eternal life in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen because that is what it's all about. And so at this moment, the Holy Spirit now is in, residing in the, the disciples. And, and so many scholars believe this is the salvation experience experience for the disciples. Jesus had conquered death. He had conquered sin on the cross. He rose from the grave and now the disciples experienced this salvation. They received the Holy Spirit. But let's go back to Luke 24. And now I'll send you the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. This, this comment happens after that moment where he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So clearly, receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation, the life-transforming presence of the Spirit is different than experiencing the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I, I like to, to liken it to this. The fruits of the Spirit are a result of salvation. When, when you experience salvation, when you experience Christ and you repent of your sin, the Holy Spirit indwells within you. And you begin to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You begin to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You begin to see those qualities increasing in measure in your life. Why? Because the transformational power of the Holy Spirit is in you. But when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's when you see the power taking place. That's where you see it's not just about you changing, now it's about you changing others. It's about you building the kingdom. So when the Holy Spirit is in you at salvation, He equips you and prepares you and builds you up in your own faith. You begin to produce fruit in your spirit, proof that you have relationship with God. But at the moment that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are empowered to serve, to witness. Acts 19, John 
uh, Paul, rather, and uh, Paul dis- talks with someone, I'm sorry, I just, Paul describes to a, a group of people who just, uh, you know, experienced salvation. He said, and he talks about John's baptism. And he says, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So we look at baptism. Baptism isn't just a a baptism in in water. Experiencing salvation and, and, and receiving the Holy Spirit, that's not baptism either. Baptism is an empowerment that takes place in our lives. So I want to get to this passage of Scripture in John 16, and I want to read through it. It says, but now I'm going to the Father. This is answering the question, why do we need Him? I'm sorry I took a long time to get here. Why do we need Him? Acts 16, verse 5 to 15, it says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he, uh, will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So tonight I want to kind of close in a sense with four questions or four reasons why we need the Holy Spirit. And the first one is it's better to have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus himself. Jesus, before his disciples... He's talking with them and he's saying, it is better that you have the Holy Spirit than for me to remain with you physically. Now, how many find that like hard to swallow sometimes because how many of us would love to have physical Jesus with us? Physical Jesus to to walk with us in our faith, to to be able to see him, to move and, and, and to touch lives right in front of us. But Jesus, and it sounds heretical almost to say that the Holy Spirit is, is better for you than, than having Jesus himself with you, but Jesus says it. In verse 7, he says, it is better that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. There was something that needed to take place and, and Christ needed to leave in order for the Holy Spirit to reside with us and not just with salvation we're talking about the power right the baptism of the holy spirit in john 14 12 it said jesus is telling his disciples i tell you the truth anyone who believes in me will do the same works i've done and even greater works 
And sometimes we quote that. Well, even greater works we shall do than, than Jesus. And I know I've even said it, that, that God has called us to do even greater things than his son did while he was here on earth. But we always, and, and even I, neglect the statement afterwards where it says, even greater things you will do because I'm going to the Father. He again reiterates the fact that you will do greater things because I'm going away and because the Holy Spirit will come. And that is who is going to equip you to walk in power and to see great and mighty things take place in your life. Reason number two. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit re reveals the world's need for Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals our need for Jesus. In verse 8 to 11, it talks about three things. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of God's righteousness. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world of the coming judgment. Let me tell you what. When you are filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, God really the Holy Spirit, rather, will work through you so that you will be used by Him in seeing souls come to Christ. Of people repenting of their sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's nature is to convict the world of sin. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is convict us in regards to God's righteousness. To show us that we fall short that we can't make the mark, that we will never be good enough to be right and standing with God. But through the Holy Spirit, it's revealed, and, and through Christ, it's revealed the grace of God that in His love, He sent Christ so that we could be with Him. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world of the coming judgment. Let me tell you what, when you're empowered by the Spirit, you're going to declare the coming of the kingdom of God. Because your focus isn't going to be on the here and now. Your focus will be on eternity. Your focus will be on who can I impact today because I don't know how much time we have left because there's going to be a coming judgment because there's going to be an end to all things. God, empower me through your Holy Spirit that I may win just one. One today, God. Send one person my way that I can make a difference in. Reason number three the Holy Spirit guides us to the truth. Let me tell you what, we live in a world that has diluted and distorted and has misconstrued the truth. And that truth has become anything that you want it to be because nobody wants to answer to, to something that, that interferes with their own self-gratification. So we see this, this issue of truth being diluted. Well, that's your truth and I have my truth and we can both have our own truths even though they contradict and everything that I'm saying right now completely folds in on itself philosophically. We don't, we don't want truth because truth means we have to surrender. And that's why the world refuses Christ. That's why the world doesn't recognize the Holy Spirit because it refuses truth. Let me tell you something. You are the agents of truth to your family, to your workplace, to, to where you uh, go to school or, or people that God's placed in your life. You are the agents of truth for those individuals. 
And we need the Holy Spirit because He's the one who directs us and guides us into all truth. The final thing, I'm not particularly pulling from this passage, but I want to go back to the individual we discussed last service, and that's Peter. Because the fourth reason why we need the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit takes us from a, a sissy, girly man Christian and empowers us, I, I, I mean it, I mean it with all my heart. He takes us from something that, that is incapable and, and he makes us capable. And it's seen in the life of Peter. Now, we talked about our last service, the message was entitled, Do You Love Me? And we talked about that moment in Peter's life where God restored him. You know, it, we went back, we talked about his betrayal. I mean, we're talking about a guy who couldn't stand up to a servant girl and say that I'm associated with that, that guy, Jesus. And we went through and Jesus asks him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And he allowed Peter to be restored that day by displaying for each denial, he allowed him to say and state his love for Jesus. And so what I'd like to do very quickly is just take and, and read through Acts and kind of show you this, this transformation of Peter. Because in Acts 1, 4-5 it says, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told, uh, as I told you before. John, the bap- uh, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Move on to Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse 14, now they all met together constantly in prayer. And then we see all of a sudden Peter rises up. So now he has the confidence to stand before his brothers and sisters and to take leadership and address a situation that they needed to replace somebody. They needed to replace Judas. And so he takes the initiative. He's the one now, and Scripture shows that he is now in the leadership position. People are looking to him now for the direction for the group. Now, look at this. This is a a restoration that takes place, and I want to show that. But Acts 2, verse 1 and 4, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Fire. The manifestation of God. Tongues of fire rested on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The scripture goes on in Acts and says that some people began to mock them. Some said, how in the world are they speaking our language right now? They're declaring the glory of God in our very own language. And scripture goes on to list like 12 to 15 different dialects that were there at the moment, all hearing the glory of God declared in their own language. And then some said, some mockers, they came up and said, you know what, these guys are drunk, they're crazy, they don't know what they're doing, and then this is what I love. It says, then Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. We don't recognize how powerful of a statement that is. Then Peter got up and he addressed the crowd. 
We're not talking about one little servant girl who's asking you about Jesus. You're being mocked for what you're doing, for the moving of the Spirit. And then in the middle of this crowd of thousands, we know it was thousands because thousands came to the Lord after his sermon that he preached. But he stood up, but Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. And he was proclaiming the gospel in front of thousands. There are too many believers who are afraid to share their faith. There are too many believers who are afraid of what people think. There are too many believers who are afraid of being a witness. There are too many believers afraid of standing up and addressing the crowd. What happened? We know what happened. Peter had a transformational experience with the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't the same person that he was before. He wasn't the same person who was afraid to be quizzed by just a couple people around a fire. But now he has been filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to witness. And he stands up and he addresses a crowd of thousands. Let me tell you, the, the fear that people have confines the spirits moving in their life. And people are so driven by fear. You know, we're supposed to be driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word, whole, the, the spirit, right? That word means wind, breath. And, it, and, and in, certain, in certain contexts, it paints the picture of the wind behind a, a, a boat, that's a sailboat that's being pushed, driven by the wind. And that's what we've been called to, to be driven by the Holy Spirit. But some of us have allowed fear to creep in. I think three questions that kind of result from fear as we just kind of close and, and what I'd like to do is to just spend some time just altar just some time at the altar here because there's there's three questions that we can ask ourselves there's three things that we can we can struggle with and the first question of fear that we ask ourselves is what if God doesn't come through? What if I seek the Holy Spirit tonight and God doesn't come through? Fear of God failing us leads to us covering for God. And this means we ask for less, we expect less, and we're satisfied with less because we're afraid to expect or ask for more. When, when we confine God, when we place restrictions on God and we say, God, I'm just not sure if you're going to come through. That lack of faith then hinders us now because we're afraid to expect from God. But how many know that the promises of God are the most reliable thing in your life. That what God has promised you in Scripture is something that you can take to the bank. How much it must grieve God to see us ignore the promise of Scripture because we're afraid that those promises won't be kept. God desires for us to have the baptism in the Spirit. 
It's a need. It's a need for us to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we're empowered to change the lives of people that God has placed around us. And if he's promised it to us, if he said, if you seek me, don't leave Jerusalem until you experience the gift that my Father has promised. And if he's promised it, you can take it to the bank that you're going to receive it. This is about souls being saved. This is about lives being changed. This is about God using you to do the impossible. This is about you being used by the Spirit like Gideon to do things that you never thought you could do for the sake of the kingdom. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, The second question of fear that we can sometimes ask is, do I even want this? This is on the other side of the, the spectrum. This is not afraid that God won't show up. <laughs> this is afraid that he will. That you're not really sure what he's going to call you to. That you're not really sure if you're ready for what he has for you. That you're okay if God was to actually ignore you. You're more okay with God ignoring you than you are with him answering you. Because an answer calls us to a higher task. An answer calls us to rise up. An answer calls us to, to take on what we've just read in Scripture and really take it home to the bank to change lives. It calls us to a higher task, and sometimes that can be scary. Let me tell you, when you have the Spirit of God, resting in you, when you've been soaking, when you're overwhelmed in the Spirit, you're empowered. And I think that there's some in this room tonight that have been afraid. They've been afraid to, to completely pursue the Holy Spirit because one, well, what if God doesn't come through? Don't worry if God doesn't come through. When he told them to wait in Jerusalem, you know how long they waited? They waited a week and a half, constantly seeking God in prayer. How many times we're afraid because we go to an altar call and we're like, God, what if you don't show up and you're there for about 15 or 20 minutes and you're like, God hasn't showed up yet. I haven't experienced his presence. I haven't really felt the Holy Spirit on me. When they sought God for a week and a half constantly in prayer and they saw it a week and a half later, let me tell you what, when you pursue God, when you abandon everything and say, God, I'm running after you. God, I'm pursuing you. Lord, your promise in Scripture says that you have a baptism in the Holy Spirit that's going to empower me to serve you, that's going to empower me to change lives for the gospel and the kingdom of God. And that's a promise that's to me. That's a need that I have in my life to be used in the power of the Holy Spirit. Question number three, what about my reputation? I think one of the most difficult things that we face is what will people think? What, 
If I'm going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that means that God's going to use me when I'm in public. That means that God's going to, going to give me a word for somebody in, in the middle of the, at the grocery store. When I'm, at, when I'm at work with my coworkers, God's going to give me a word. God's going to put a word on my heart to pray for someone and to step out in faith, to embarrass myself in front of all these people. Let's not forget that Christ died on the cross. The most embarrassing death that he did not deserve. I think sometimes we're afraid of being too radical. Afraid of God calling us to those greater things. More afraid to maybe risk our reputation than afraid of even grieving the heart of God. Tonight, I believe God is going to empower some individuals tonight. I believe some of you have been waiting a long time. Some of you have been ready for this. And maybe some of you just haven't experienced it yet. This is what we need to understand. This is something God wants for you. This is something that you need. As a, as a believer, this is something that I believe will be a catalyst to Manchester. That when a group of young people begin to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we will begin to see a city transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, if you want the baptism in the Holy Spirit, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that God empowers you supernaturally to make a difference for the kingdom of God. No more fear. We're all in tonight. No more fear. I was talking with uh, Pastor Matt. We were just talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about people, Christians, who, who don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not operating in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I liken it to a sports player. You could be content to be just okay at a certain sport. But if you knew that you had an avenue to become the greatest player in that sport, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want every conceivable resource to increase your skill and talent in that area? There are so many Christians that are content at par, at, at mediocre, at just good. But how many know that, that God desires for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? That we would rise to something greater so no more talking on my part. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I just ask that you guys would just come right here because we're going to pray.
Praise the Lord. I want each and every one of you to know that this is your promised gift. That God desires to empower you to serve, empower you to witness, empower you to overcome that fear. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a boldness, a type of boldness that would allow a Peter, a person ashamed to speak to one, to have the boldness to stand up to speak to thousands. It's your promised gift. And I believe that as we pursue God, it's going to happen. Because what God promises us, He's not going to, oh, just kidding, that's not actually what I said. No, what God has promised us, like I said before, we can take to the bank. We hope that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more about 242, you can email Pastor Justin at jcorkum at manchesterassembly.org. You can also tweet us at 242NH. Again, that's T-W-O-42-N-H. Or on Facebook, you can look us up under 242 Young Adults. We look forward to your feedback, and we'll see you next time.